Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers and more broadly e-commerce sellers. Today, we're talking supply chain. We're talking with Sarah Barnes Humphrey, Barnes Humphrey, forgive me, of Let's Talk Supply Chain, a 20-year veteran of supply chain management. So really important topics to discuss. We should have had you on months ago, but, but Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am super excited. This is supply chains in my blood. Logistics is something that I have grown up with and been my whole career. So excited to be here and thanks for having me. My pleasure. I, I love it when people are really passionate about areas that seem to an outside person obscure. Now, of course, in a sense, the supply chain is an obscure thing. It's like the arteries of the world's trade, but yet... We've had the luxury, haven't we, for a while of being able to just kind of get hold of a freight forward and, and it may be a little bit of a messy process, which we, we may get around to discussing because I know your whole raison d'etre is to, to make working with freight forwarders easier and faster and, and, and amen to that. But we've had the luxury of it actually working and being somewhat affordable. If It's sometimes a bit scary until recently, haven't we? So some crazy stuff going on. So tell me a bit about, so it's 2021, we're recording this in June and being a crazy 12 months, tell me about your sort of overall summary of the, the freight and logistics, literally globe, you know, the world situation. Yeah, so it's kind of been a domino effect, right? I mean, we everything with COVID started happening around sort of February, March, but things didn't really get serious until March. And what we saw was factories and manufacturers were closing, right? Because people were going into lockdown, countries were going into lockdown. And so they were closing or they had, and they, they were sending people home. And so that created a huge backlog because in January, 2020, you have Chinese New Year. There's already a backlog from that. And then in March with them closing and people getting sick and not being able to operate, you've got a backlog of products, which we really saw transitioning into the fall and into the um, holiday season, right? There was a lot of disruption around that time for people even to be able to get their products to the end consumer. What we also saw was e-commerce increasing by 300% in a lot of different cases. And so a lot of deliveries went up. And so you needed more people, you needed more people in the warehouse, but you also had to contend with the COVID factor in that you had to space people out more. You had to put in plastic, people had to wear masks, people had to be temperature checked before they came into the warehouse. And so that created some disruption as well, trying to figure out how everybody can work well together in a warehouse. 
And then, of course, e-commerce increased. And so you needed delivery drivers. You needed product. So products started. There was a lot more product that was moving. We've also seen containers overboard. More containers than we've ever seen previously go overboard within the time frame of October to about January, February. And then you had Chinese New Year. And then we had the backlog of at the LA port, the port of LA and the port of Long Beach, because they had 1800 people off with COVID. And so they weren't able to handle the amount of traffic that they usually handle. Then you've got the Suez Canal that happened and how that was blocking $400 million worth of trade every single day that it sat there. And now it's resulted in the fact that more and more products are being produced overseas and they need to be moved by containers. And so, but there's still backlogs, right? There's still backlogs at the factory. There's still backlogs at the ports. There's still backlogs with equipment. So when the pandemic first started, I mean, we had PPE that was traveling all over the place, all over the globe, right? We needed to get PPE out to people to protect them. But now with e-commerce booming, the steamship lines really saw that the biggest trade lanes was the Far East into North America. And so they forgot about some of the empty containers that are sitting there in some of the outlier countries and they didn't bring them back into rotation. So you have an equipment shortage, which is not helping with the increase of products that are being produced and the products that are being sold and the products that are being moved. So what we've seen most recently is 40-foot container pricing going from, I don't know, 2,500 to 3,500 all the way up to 15,000 to 20,000 a container, which is crazy because that's quadrupling the amount that it would take to be able to move your products overseas. We're also seeing lengthening transit time. So for example, I think it was Shanghai to LA was about 25 days. Now we're looking at 47 to 50. And so what's happening is your capital on your inventory is being held up for way longer. Plus you're paying quadruple the cost for your container to move. And so all of your costs right now are through the roof and supply chain leaders are really trying to figure out what their next move is. What does our supply chain strategy look like? What does it need to look like in the future? Are we going to bring some manufacturing back home? Can we use 3D printers? Like there's so much that is happening right now. It's a crazy, crazy time to be an importer or an exporter. A freight forwarder. It's it's a really really crazy time, and what I can tell you is most folks are working fifty percent more than they did pre COVID, and mm-hmm. so that that really also contributes to the amount of work that that people are having, or the amount of work that you're putting into your everyday, and that contributes to mental health as well. So lots and lots and lots of things happening right now. Wow, it's <laughs> a kind of <laughs> very perspicacious, clear kind of and scary scenario you just painted. So let's just kind of, let me just sort of reflect back a bit just to give the listeners a chance to breathe and, and kind of come to terms with what they're hearing. I mean, it's it's interesting what the sort of contributing factors are to the, I guess it wouldn't be unfair to call it a crisis of, of freight. And I guess then it's interesting to understand those because it's interesting to try and, I would say interesting, 
I, I believe, incredibly necessary to try and do in each business a sort of amateurish bit of forecasting as to where what your view is of, of where things are going. Because I guess prices were whatever they were and the transit times were what they were. They're now you know, 4x and, and sort of 2x respectively almost getting on for that what they were, which is horrendous for working capital requirements, as you said, have gone through the roof. And then I guess the interesting thing is short-term solutions, which I suspect are not very forthcoming, and longer-term, where you think it, it's going. So having <laughs> looked at this, I mean, let's let's take a, a couple of the... Let's, let's start by sort of tackling each problem at a time then and sort of make it... Having put these terrible, monolithic-looking problems, let's try and break them down a bit have some of that north american can do supply constraint i mean how how serious is that still is that uh, still absolute is it shifting what what's the situation in that yeah well i think it's also important to talk about these things so that importers or your audience or the people importing the product don't feel alone yeah because a lot true. of times i'm talking to small to mid-sized businesses and they'll look at me and say oh this is happening to everybody because not everybody has been through this before. Not everybody has been shipping for a number of years and seen different disruptions. We have never, as an industry, and the whole time that I've been in this industry, 30-year veterans in this industry have never seen anything like this before. I mean, you're talking about seasoned supply chain veterans having a 100% accuracy rate for years. And right now, they're at 75% because it's everything that's out of their control. A couple of things that we do need to consider is that, and we do need to talk about these things, because we do need to understand what is happening from a C-suite role to your supply chain leaders, to your leaders that are on the front lines and actually having to handle this and deal with customers and things like that, to your small business who, like I said, who have maybe never shipped before and they're like this is crazy i don't know if i want to do this so there's a lot of there's a lot of people involved there's a lot of thinking involved there's a lot of a lot of things that we need to consider and really understand so that we can better prepare for the future so your one question was what does this look like and what is it going to look like well i don't have a crystal ball <laughs> and a lot of the seasoned veterans that i know are having a lot of trouble forecasting and planning right now mm -hmm. because we're also seeing a shortage of raw materials, right? And so how do you plan if there's a shortage of raw materials and there's that domino effect? You really, you really can't. Plus they're talking about a GRI, which is a general rate increase on ocean freight coming out June 15th. And that's an additional $3,000 per 40 foot container. So what do you do now? Well, you need your product now. And so you're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to pay the, there, there's no short term solution here. If you want your products, you're going to have to go with what is happening at the moment, but what you can plan for is the future. And so what does that look like for you as supply chain leaders? Are you going to put your, all your eggs in one basket, maybe in China? Are you going to spread it out and maybe look at Vietnam or India? I know Apple looked at India to move their manufacturing. And what it did was it opened up a new consumer market for them as well. And so they were able to not only move their manufacturing, but also find a new customer in a new country. 
And then, but that doesn't really help with those international shipping disruptions and challenges that we're having right now. So do you look at potentially nearshoring or shoreshoring where you can manufacture closer to your facilities or maybe closer to your customers? It might cost you a little bit more, but compared to what's going on right now, you really need to take a look at what those disruptions cost you, what those risks cost you, right? How much time and money your capital is being tied up for? And what does that mean to you from a cost perspective? There are a lot of really, really, really great solutions from 3D printing. Um, And 3D printing is getting to be lower cost. It's getting to be more effective. I was having a conversation the other day with somebody about how they had turned something around that usually takes six weeks in China down to three days with a with a 3D printer. So is that an opportunity for you? So really taking a look like people and, and importers and exporters really need to take a look at what they're doing and how much it's costing them and how you can translate that into potentially bringing some of that back home or closer two. But again, that's a long-term solution. That's not really that short-term solution that maybe they're they're (laughs) people are hoping for. Yeah. I guess what the, so sort of reading between the lines, what I'm getting from you is there there are no, well, not only are there (laughs) sad truths that are coming out here uh, is what we kind of all suspected, but obviously you really are in a position to, to with a lot more authority than anyone else I've, I've really dealt with. And that is number one, it, there isn't really an obvious short term solution, but there's some very, very interesting medium term solutions. So I'd like to, to focus on, on the solution piece. I've been influenced by my American, American guests. Obviously, I'm looking for like, come on, we can do, can do stuff. But also it looks like the truth is that even the exceptionally experienced veterans are doing with such a once in a generation, maybe once in a lifetime, if it's. 30-year veterans haven't seen this. I guess it's a a once-in-a-lifetime level of disruption, right? Maybe there'll be a third world war and it will be even more dramatic. But apart from that, I guess um, that if they can't forecast, then we have to... We have to really do that kind of Nicholas Nassim Taleb thing where instead of trying to forecast the future, accurately, we, we make our businesses as robust or hopefully anti-fragile as possible. Now, that's a, a much used and abused word in my understanding of it, but at least robust. So I, I'm... Um, I'm interested in what you're talking about here. So nearshoring is something I've been sort of falling into advising my customers on. I just happen to have a customer who's, who's uh, or client rather, who's um, been importing from Eastern Europe. And he was looking at going to China. I said, look, I've done a lot of importing from China. I can talk you through the basics. I'm not a freight forwarder, nor would I play one. But honestly, don't do it. <laughs> like I said, you have no idea how much it's going to cost. And if the, if the freight cost goes from triple normal to five or six times normal, then, as you say, first of all, that's a risk. And when it comes to forecasting, you cannot forecast accurately in, in a situation like that. And that strikes me as the individual business owners need to be humble about that as well and just not enter that arena, to be honest. I mean, what are your thoughts about that for the small business owner particularly? Yeah, there's there's technology out there to really help with forecasting. But as a small business, that may or may not be practical for you. I think when I when I have some of these conversations and I talk to some of the importers, they're looking at potentially reducing the amount of SKUs that they have. So taking a look at how many different products in how many different sizes in how many different colors and really taking a look at which ones are your best sellers, which ones you can live without potentially and reducing the amount of SKUs that you have. Because what a lot of companies are doing is pre-COVID, they were they were doing just-in-time inventory. 
right? So they were bringing in the product just in time for it to go out. Now that obviously in the last year has not been something that people can maintain. And so they've been talking about just in case inventory. So carrying a little bit more inventory. So you have a buffer to be able to deliver to your customers against their expectations, right? Because supply chain really is the lifeblood of your company. Right. And we're, we're really noticing that now it has a like it has a collaborative opportunity with marketing. It has a collaborative opportunity with sales. It is a direct impact on your customer experience, which also determines whether somebody is going to come back and buy from you again. And so it really touches all aspects of the business and really is that lifeblood. And so how do you use your supply chain for a competitive advantage? And what does that look like? And maybe you move some of that manufacturing closer to home and maybe you leave some of that manufacturing overseas. There's there's a lot of different variables. There's a lot of different things to look at. But that just-in-time versus just-in-case also means that you're going to have capital tied up in a little bit more inventory because you're going to hold that inventory in the warehouse, that little bit of extra inventory. But by also reducing your SKUs, that means you're not holding as much inventory. And so I think that that could be a really, really good option. One of the other things that I'm hearing about is when importers are going for investment, like they're looking at investors to invest in their company. Supply chain has been a major factor in the conversations and where they're going to be spending their money because the costs have gone up, the capital in the inventory, obviously the length of time has doubled, and then you've got the quadrupling of the ocean freight rates. And so that's another thing. If you're going to go and raise capital for your company, you're going to want to put logistics and supply chain as a, an item that you're going to be using that investment for. And that really is going to spark conversation and really allow you to, to really figure out what that needs to look like for you. Because supply chains are different for everybody. Supply chains are different for every single organization. And when I say supply chain, I mean from sourcing to procurement. So buying the product, moving the product, holding the product, so warehousing and distribution, and then the last mile, that delivery to the customer. And so if you're thinking about all of those aspects, there really is opportunity at every single point. It really just depends on how you want to do it. And when you sit down with your team, figuring out what's best for you and where you want to have that risk and where you want to have your capital tied up and, and what is it really costing you is something that I would really implore importers to sit down and figure out. Yeah, interesting. Now, I was feeling a bit bad that before this podcast, I was deep in, deep, deep diving into three statement financial forecasting, which I felt was kind of not quite relevant and not maybe putting my brain in the right space for a sort of supply chain conversation. But I, I've, I believe I was wrong because actually, I think in the end, I, I more and more try and translate things out of the specific to the general sort of business principles and find that those are robust things that stop you going mad. For example, if you are concerned about your Amazon rankings jump all over the place, as I have done recently for most people in most markets, because Amazon's been playing with their algorithm. I, I just said to somebody the other day that they shouldn't be stressing too much about that if if they thought that their anchors had dropped off a cliff, but their sales had, were down maybe 25% and he's in the gardening space and therefore it's been raining a lot in the UK and he's only in the UK. I just said, well, maybe things haven't changed as dramatically as you think. Now, 
in terms of the what you were saying about the sort of inventory and the, the capital the working capital requirements i'm so glad that you're talking about this because nobody talks about this anything like enough in my personal opinion <laughs> it's such a big part of the business model it's so intrinsic to it and people are just obsessed with profit and loss i'm like the balance sheet is crying in the corner here so I'm glad you brought up a balance sheet reference. And, and here's what I would say. And I guess balance sheet management is what they call it, I suppose, isn't it? What's, what you've said is so, so interesting because what you might be transitioning from is instead of tying up money for, say, I don't know, 100 days in inventory, which is the magic sort of balance sheet number that drives the working cap, right? That instead of that, you might end up with a product that there's 150 days in inventory. So it's on the water for a lot longer. Yeah. with one product line but you've got another product line which has such different characteristics of being made in you know north america to be sold in north america or in europe to sell in europe yes. and maybe the profit margin that's pretty thin but the working capital requirement is just so much lower so we're ending up with a sort of almost like the it makes me think of nicholas nassis talib again the famous person to deal with the risk thing and the black swan that we're experiencing the sort of barbell risk right so you've got one extreme risk with the china import stuff and then you've got another extreme risk with with america instead of it all being in the middle i mean what are your thoughts about that is that something you see people doing or is this even a viable thought yeah i'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because i think it's definitely something that organizations c-suite supply chain leaders are talking more about and considering more, right? Because again, you're looking at long lead times, you're working capital, the risk, right? The risk versus the reward of keeping your manufacturing overseas. A lot of people are looking at diversifying their manufacturing. So again, not keeping everything in China, but looking at other locations to be able to manufacture in. And they're also looking at manufacturing to local markets versus international markets. So before pre-COVID, you would buy product from, uh, let's say, China. And let's say your customer base was in North America or Europe. So it would be China, you produce everything in China, and then you deliver out to the different locations. Now they're looking at, okay, well, where is my audience? Because we have a lot more data to play with, right? We have a lot more data to take a look at. So where are my consumers? Where is my audience? Where where are they buying from? What does that look like? And do I have to produce that in China to really manufacture to the North American market? Or can I manufacture in North America and I can deliver to my North American customers or I can manufacture in Europe and deliver to my European customers? And is the turnaround time faster? Because that one is huge, right? Your customers are, it's all about the Amazon effect. You guys all know that. And they're expecting it to get there fast. Well, when you've got all of the disruptions that are happening right now, that's not going to happen. And there's a lot of companies that are out of stock of a lot of product right now. And that doesn't bode well for your customer coming back and buying from you. So what is the domino effect and what is it affecting? What is it impacting down the line? And so can you manufacture in North America to sell to North America? Does it cut your lead down, your lead times down? Does it cut your risk? Does it cut, cut your capital? Like there's so many things to consider, like you said, rather than just profit and loss. The days when you could just afford to look at the revenue are just dead and buried. And I'm kind of not sad about that. But the days when you thought profit was really important are hopefully people have woken up now. And I think, by the way, all the sophisticated business owners I knew were obsessed with cash flow management. And the, the good people I knew, relatively small businesses by global standards, 
standards and by C-suite type standards or companies that even have C-suites. I mean, eight-figure business owners, they had 10-year cash flow projections. They're not messing about because cash management is so important. And as you said, yeah, okay, the profit side may not be quite so good, but if you manage locally, so many upsides that were suddenly necessary, but I think they were always good. And actually, it's kind of, I think what it's done is, I was somebody was saying to me the other day, just not to get slightly off piece, but he said, what do you think? You know, he wasn't asking me as any kind of e-commerce professional. He was just, it was a friend's um, party outside, amazingly, but people nice. and everything, crazy. A friend of mine was playing a violin piece because I used to be a musician. But anyway, so he said, what do you think is the knock-on effect of this COVID thing? And I said, well, I think it's kind of given countries an inoculation at being able to take pandemics seriously for when there's a really serious disease around COVID's nasty. It's not the Spanish flu in terms of death rates, not yet anyway. And it isn't Ebola and it's not bubonic plague, both of which are still around in the world. Bubonic plague's never gone away. And that killed three quarters of Europe in, in you know 14th century. So I think in a similar way, this whole crisis, whether it goes away or not, has inoculated people against the idea of just managing by profit and loss and and ignoring supply chain sort of lead times, the vulnerability of supply chains. So I think it's actually kind of got a healthy effect on a business if you can survive it. And weirdly, I've got to just mention as well, Peter Zion, American sort of, I don't know what he would call himself, sort of global strategy thinker, I guess, where sort of advises businesses. He wrote about stuff that, that looks remarkably like this in 2014. His, his idea was it would take a while to kick in based on the fact that America is withdrawing from the world militarily, which is absolutely proven true and will continue to be, I think. And that gradually everything breaks down due to war. Now, I think that's probably going to be true, sadly, but I think this is accelerated stuff. We've got the 2030 world in 2021. So I think actually a lot of the really most strategic minds in the world have been seeing something like this coming, but they had no idea this would be the cause. So, so interesting. So look, where do we even go from here? What are your, what are your kind of concluding well, thoughts? Because I'd like to get to something more practical for people, but we've got to address it. So yeah, one more, one more thing that I'd like the audience to, to think about is also sustainable supply chains. And it's, it's a really important one because before when we were talking about sustainability, it was all about individuals, right? It was the individuals that were championing this idea of sustainability. Now, boards are getting involved and they're looking for reports based on what the companies are doing from a sustainability standpoint. One of the things for your audience that I think that you can really think about is packaging, not just the actual packaging itself, but a lot of consumers are taking pictures and posting pictures of, let's say, a tiny piece of makeup coming in a gigantic box and how that's not sustainable. Not only are you paying money for the additional weight of that box, that's not really necessary, but your customers are are just not happy with the way that that's happening. And so taking a look at your packaging, empowering your warehouse staff to be able to pick the right packaging for the product, and which is, I think, is extremely important. And it's a part of the supply chain that we don't talk a lot about but definitely extremely important to your customer experience and having a customer return and buy from you as well. And transparency in your supply chain, being able to have visibility into your supply chain and what that looks like is really going to be key in the future to be able to thrive as a business and be part of a sustainability plan. Yeah, an excellent. That's a very, I was about to say, very millennial point, which is uh, not a small thing when they're the majority of consumers now. I, I guess I'm a sort of old school, crusty white guy, so I need to kind of remind myself I'm totally unwoke. Yeah. I need to remind myself that that's important. But I think the, the more skeptical slash practical small business owner head on, I would say 
if you do both those things and then you tell the customers about that, or then then of course what you're doing is you're as as you put it earlier so incredibly rightly that your supply chain management becomes a competitive advantage because if you're very very careful to choose only the right size of packaging, and you have a a an ethically run and an intelligently run supply chain that minim- minimizes the impacts on the planet and on people's lives and you look after your workers and you can get that across then my goodness that's going to be different because yeah. right now i don't see anybody who has a clue what's going on in their supply chain frankly and therefore not in the small businesses i work with and to be fair they've got other con- you know things on their plate but i guess if they can take that effort and they talk about it nobody else is talking about that yet really they're kind of they they do I don't know bamboo packaging as opposed to something else and that's about it. So I really like that. Mm-hmm. It's accelerating. Mm-hmm. People are talking about it more, and not just the next generation. It's it's every generation is really looking at it. I had a friend of mine get two boxes of tea in this gigantic box, and she took a picture of it and she posted it on LinkedIn and was like, "What is this? Why why are we doing this? This is this is not okay." So it's not necessarily just about the packaging itself, but also the life cycle um, of products as well. And that's part of the supply chain too. Is what's your return policy, and what does your return look like, and how can we reuse that product instead of putting it into waste so lots of different things to think about and how supply chain is really tied to all of these decisions which ultimately result in your customer experience and people consumers buying from you and coming back and buying from you again yeah yeah i i like it and i always feel like every so often i have to have a conversation about the latest amazon algorithm and i always feel saddened because i think i it's getting people to think short term and re- reactively to somebody else's decisions. And I, I hate short-term and reactive. Plus, you learn a skill and it's going to be useless in 2.5 months' time when Jeff and his lieutenants have changed things. What I really like about this is two things. First of all, it's forcing your brain into literally global-sized picture. You cannot avoid it if you're importing from China to Europe and to the USA. You're in three, two, you know, three, three, you know, uh, thirds of the world, whatever the word is. And secondly, it, it forces you to deal with grown-up problems that don't have quick solutions and i think that's really healthy because it forces you if you do that it's like working out in a gym with big weights you're going to get stronger i mean either that or it's going to kill you but hopefully the former right so tell us a bit we ought to give you a, a moment to tell us about your shipping platform because obviously it's a nightmarish time right now to try and get hold of freight forwarders all the people that i work with or know at selling on amazon or even other places shopify or bowl for example, they're all struggling to even get hold of their freight forwarders to manage that relationship. So tell us about your ships platform. Is it Ship Z, Ship Z? How do you say it? Well, the Americans like to call it Ship Z. I ship like Z. to call it Ships. Okay. <laughs> so oh. it's really to each their own. I'm not yeah. going to tell anybody how they how they want to pronounce it. No, I appreciate the time to do that. So I, I worked for a freight forwarder for 20 years, and I really got a good understanding of what the freight forwarder goes through, and then also what the importer and the exporter go through. And there's a lot of this, right? Importers and exporters are going to three to five different freight forwarders every single time they have a shipment, and they're requesting a quote, and the quote's coming back, and there's all different terms and conditions, and it takes a long time. So just to put it in perspective, it takes 101 hours 40 emails and 20 phone calls to get an international shipment 
quoted and booked by Aaron Ocean Freight. And so I kind of knew that technology would be able to help solve that. And that was the mission that we started on was to help solve that. And so we launched last last fall. And so it's ships, shipszz.com. And we have a marketplace solution, which is really for small to uh, mid-market importers and exporters. They can come onto our platform. They can put in their shipment details. There's Inco terms on there. There's a chart on there. You can ask for customs and insurance. And with a click of a button, you can get either what your predictive costs could be, or with another click of a button, you could get a bunch of freight forwarders to actually quote on your particular shipment. You can choose one of them and you can book it directly through our platform, but it also enables you to hold your documentation under that PO and your messaging as well. Because right now it's an email. So it's all over the place. And if you lose a document, it's really hard to find and you have to resend it. So we wanted to take all of that chaos and bring it into one usable platform so that we're, we're fixing some of the challenges on both sides so that everybody can work better together. So we have the marketplace. And then we also take that marketplace solution and we offer it as a white label solution as well. So if you're a mid-market to enterprise customer or importer and exporter, that might be the option for you because you can work with the freight forwarders that you already have and we make it easier because you have your own ecosystem you have your own marketplace and so you can click a button and all of your freight forwarders can quote on your your shipments as well so really just trying to take the process and make it making it easier for everybody to work together because if anything we need way more of that right now Oh yeah. Oh yes. I mean, the, this is, this is so music to my ears. I mean, the 101 hours is, is frightening statistic, but I believe that it's, it's gotta be, I mean, I believe it was that high. I'm sure you've done your numbers, but wow. Uh, that's horrendous. Several working weeks worth of, of one person's time, but I can believe it's a hell of a lot because it just always is a, a mess. And uh, oh God, yeah. Email as a place to hold documentation is the worst possible thing in the world. I kind of hate email anyway. I I kind of don't hate it entirely, but mostly. And yeah, when I work with my even the beginner, beginner, beginner people, if they're importing, I say you are not allowed to keep stuff on your desktop slash on email. You put it in Google Drive or one of these four folders, and at least right. then you have a fighting chance of finding it. But that is a very primitive solution. This sounds much much better. So definitely worth checking out. If people want to check it out, I know that you can get a a free 14-day trial and we'll do a little redirect to it from amazingfba.com forward slash ships with a z or a z so s-h-i-p-z or s-h-i-p-z depending which side of the pond you're on what do you say in canada do you say z or z or is it like a mix z oh well that's, that seems, feels very sensible to me why doesn't everyone else do this anyway so we ought to wrap up here because we, we are never going to do another quick episode on the, the more general issue of dealing with freight forwarders which is more specific sort of subset of the, the pain that people have in freight but just remains for me to say a couple of things first of all thank you so much for your your insight it's um great to scratch the surface but i'm sure that people would be well advised to go and check out your podcast as well because i i utterly with you in like proper supply chain management it is so neglected and and it's crying out for for, for attention and so I'm, I'm happy to get you on the the other things apart from thank you, I'd just like to ask you last question, which is what questions should I have asked you? Oh, that is a really good question. And that kind of came out of left field. I, I don't know. We covered a lot. I think maybe, maybe the question is how 
Well, there's a there's a couple of them. We didn't really talk about the seafarer crisis, which is something that is a humanitarian issue and challenge that's happening in our industry right now. So if you don't know much about it, I implore you to go and learn a little bit more about that. We're part of the Neptune Declaration that's helping with that humanitarian crisis. But maybe, yeah, I don't know. What is a good question? Because we really covered quite a bit. We we certainly did. Tell us a bit about the seafarer, talking about ethical action and i suppose we talked about sustainability but yeah tell me a bit about this then we we haven't talked about it and i have got it on our list to talk about yeah what's going on with this what is what is this crisis and and what should we do about it well so seafarers right if you think about it right now all of the boats that can be out there moving product are out in the water moving product and seafarers really are our heroes of global trade because without them product doesn't move and commerce just doesn't happen And what happened during COVID, because everybody was in isolation, a lot of the seafarers and also pre-COVID, they're not really, they, they have a challenge being out on the water. And so they're out on the water with not a very good connection. So Wi-Fi connection. So they can't really reach out to the world. And especially during COVID, there were seafarers that were on boats for like 18 months at a time without really being able to reach out to family and, and know what's happening at home. And so the mental health of the seafarers is really that number one challenge that is happening with them right now and especially during COVID because they were on the boats for extended periods of time when they when they got to dock they weren't allowed to leave like they usually would pre-COVID maybe for a couple of hours or for a day or, or to fly back home and so it's really something that we as not just an industry, but I think as humans need to get around and really make sure that the steamship lines that are making a lot of money right now are taking care of those seafarers and making sure that the conditions that they're working in on those boats are really conducive to a healthy lifestyle, both physically and mentally. And so I, I implore you to go and take a look. There's a couple of resources, Freightened on Prime. Uh, talks a little bit about that and then if you wanted to look into the neptune declaration as well well it's good thank you for that that sort of ending on a very humane note i think it's it's one of those things that we forget people talk about passive income and again we were talking before the show kicked off about the solopreneur idea it could not be more of a complete load of rubbish because just because i'm sitting behind my computer ordering something from amazon doesn't mean that that it's automatically delivered and contrary to popular opinion there are a lot of human beings employed in amazon's warehouses yes they have robots but the ai is more used uh, artificial intelligence systems are more used to plot the tracks of humans through the warehouse as i understand it than necessarily mostly replace them with robots so we, we don't live in a sort of 1920s future it's the actual reality is robots doing the thinking and human beings doing a lot of the work and yeah those guys work really really hard and i guess that every so often that hits the news but you're right the seafarers never really hit the news to my awareness anyway and it's good to remember that yeah there's a lot of politics involved i listened Hmm. to a wsj podcast the other day and this guy was on a boat in the suez canal for four years because he had signed a piece of paper that nobody had had told him about and it made him the owner of the the boat and there was some uh, politics or there was some some disagreements as to whether that boat could actually move through the canal and he ended up on that boat for four years and he wasn't allowed to leave 
Yeah, it's pretty ugly. But anyway, I guess we can say that there are worse things than working from home, folks. I think if nothing else, it gives you a bit of perspective to be grateful for that. Listen, we better uh, wrap this one up because there's a lot to absorb, but also some very interesting hints at some some solutions there as well. And very, very interesting to talk it over with somebody who knows it in so much depth. So Sarah Barnes-Humphrey from Let's Talk Supply Chain. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hey there, folks. Thank you so much for hanging out with Sarah Barnes, Humphrey and myself. So quite a lot to take on board here. Sadly, it's not all good news and solutions, but at least we can start to understand the landscape that we're moving in. You are not alone is the first message that I'm taking from this. If you are struggling with freight and particularly with um, very high freight prices, maybe three or four times usual, which is frightening, not three or four percent, but three or four X, three or four hundred percent, I guess, or twice as long transit times, at least you know what you're dealing with is not just you. So you're in the same boat as, I guess, your competition as well, as well as everybody else in the world. So not the most uplifting information, although Sarah's a very cheerful kind of soul, I thought, and obviously extremely expert. Supply constraints and demand side increases have really led to a bit of a sort of perfect storm, I guess is the word. And the backlogs are being worked through. Now, the word backlog to me implies that once we've worked through the backlog, things come back to normal. But Sarah did wisely probably refuse to be drawn on predicting, you know, to what extent these prices are exceptional and will go down. I would imagine that based on the reversion to the mean thing, it will go down eventually. How long it takes to work through, though, that's anybody's guess. I mean, COVID has not played its way through the system yet i guess i mean and this is my amateurish reflections but obviously india has a massive infection rate at the time of recording in june 2021 brazil is off the chart uk usa have rolled up their vaccines pretty well but that doesn't mean there's zero infection and no risks from say the so-called indian variant or whatever variant has come up by the time you're listening to this so i guess over time those costs are going to go down but over what time none of us really can say including freight experts that Sarah knows personally and know, and her own view. I guess solutions have to be a bigger picture as befits the uh, big size of the problem. And Sarah talks about the onshoring or nearshoring, manufacturing closer to consumers. Maybe it costs more, but the, the money is not just about profit and loss. It's about working capital requirements and how much cash you got tied up. 3D printing, very, very interesting, more radical solution that does long seem to me like it would one day potentially threaten international uh, shipping, maybe starting to come onto its own because it has to. And my experience of necessity is the mother of invention. Look what happened with global vaccines. So I would not ignore 3D printing. We ought to get a guest on to talk about that one day, I guess. And then, yeah, really the, the whole just in case versus just in time inventory and maybe deciding to have fewer SKUs, fewer variations as for your product lines but having a variety of things that are sourced with uh, where they tie up the capital for ages but the profit margin i guess is a bit better versus those that are sourced more locally locally being maybe the same side of the globe and last but not least a couple of things that um, were mentioned sort of ethical things first of all sustainability in supply chains not just important for your own ethics although that is part of what we've got to live with ourselves as business people i guess and feel proud of what we what we do at the end of the day but also it has a real competitive advantage in marketing and positioning your business as somebody who genuinely cares and then not least we've talked about the seafarers and the, the humanitarian crisis so a neptune declaration is something that we you know we ought to be aware of i guess at some level if nothing else is part of the picture and understanding 
what on earth is going on globally we've had the luxury of it all working so seamlessly we've been able to just not think about the lives of the people involved in the supply chain and i guess there has brought our attention to that so thought-provoking and humbling stuff but there are some bigger picture hints there that i think it, it's really something to go away and reflect on and you know try and de-risk your supply chain over time and sometimes the side effects of those can be huge bonuses such as as sarah mentioned apple sourcing in india and discovering that it was making stuff in the same places it could sell it uh, a new market in other words that i hadn't really tapped into and as india's middle class grows and gets wealthier over the next few decades i imagine that might even drive a big percentage of their growth similar idea that occurs to me a similar system is that tesla has quite consciously i think put it's uh, done the opposite instead of just manufacturing the usa apple of course was manufacturing in china for most of its existence but the the tesla's gone the opposite and manufacturing some cars in china specifically in order to be able to adjust the quote local market i.e the national chinese market of 1.4 billion people i guess that's not the size of the market for electric cars but you get the idea that there are actually all sorts of radical solutions here. So I'm going to leave you to think about that because I don't know about you. My head's hurting with just thinking this stuff through, but it's important stuff. And it's, it's forcing us to really consider things as business people that will make our businesses stronger and uh, make you a better e-commerce seller. So thank you so much for listening and we will speak soon. Next up, a little bit of a less head scratchy one about freight forwarders and how we can work better with freight forwarders from Sarah. So stay tuned. If that is something you're currently occupied by, and if you're not, I would suggest you probably should look at your sourcing. There's always work to be done there, and it's a very neglected area compared to Amazon hacks. Honestly, I think it's normal, therefore, a bit big wins to be had by the same token. If you have survived and indeed enjoyed today's rather epic podcast, Global in Scope No Less, then please don't forget to subscribe to the show first of all and secondly don't forget to leave a review on apple Podcasts. even just a quick rating one two three four or five stars it will take you 10 seconds or so maybe 30 seconds but that will be really really helpful and we'll keep churning out the podcast content i say churning i mean we try and be you know selective in who we have here on and and we we put about nine man hours into every hour of podcast so we we work hard to put the quality out there for you but it is a bit of a grind sometimes. And so it, it's lovely to know that you care. If you do, please let us know via your reviews. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.